Strap in for another episode of the Mad About Wrestling Podcast. Uh, did he say strap in or strap on? Woo! They give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's a war to respect, yeah, thugonomics, yeah! But I'm a genetic freak, and I'm not normal! You're sick, sons of bitches! You ripped out my heart! I am your host, KP, and thanks for listening. As always, feedback and comments are welcome. You can contact the show at madaboutwrestlingpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook, just look up KP Love Puppet. And with that out of the way, what do you say we get on with the show? News broke just before I did the recording for this about the unfortunate passing of wrestling star Daphne. Ah, you know, I saw Daphne in 99 when she showed up in WCW, and that was right when I was hitting my I'm in love with goth girls face. So Daphne was just the perfect person for me to see at that point in time in 99. I watched her in TNA when she returned and I, and I dug it. Uh, I always dug the Daphne character. She always entertained me. I'm sad to hear of her passing today. So I didn't want to open the show by saying, you know, rest in peace, Daphne. You were appreciated by the wrestling fans. And, Whether you you knew that or not, I don't know, but from me and all of us in the wrestling fans community worldwide, we are sad that you are no longer here. Well, CM Punk can pop a rating. For everybody that was following or paying any attention in the wrestling world, obviously you know CM Punk came back two weeks ago. His segment on Friday night when he returned had a over a million viewers for the show and had his segment alone drew 1.34 million viewers to their show on a Friday night and their key demo rating was solid for the 18 to 49 year old crowd then he showed up on Dynamite and again it was over a million viewers I think the show kind of leveled out at I think a, a 1.17 million CM Punk's uh, interview segment at the top of the hour again was the highest part of the show it came in at, I think, a 1.34, just about the same kind of crowd that showed up on to see the return on Rampage. So the week before that on Rampage, they had just under 800,000. So he almost doubled their Friday night audience. And then the same thing happened on Wednesday Dynamite. They went from under a million to over a million. So he was bringing some eyeballs, and that is a great thing because so much hype is on AEW right now. It's the, kind of the big thing in the wrestling world. I think it was within 48 hours, uh, CM Punk's return, debut, whatever you want to call it, was viewed over 5 million times on YouTube. And his Dynamite segment with Tony Schiavone uh, has been viewed almost 3 million times on YouTube so far. So there's a lot of eyeballs that are at least tuning in for the CM Punk part of AEW right now. On the flip side of that coin, Rampage that we just had that went down without CM Punk, they're rating actually dipped with a viewership that was under 
what they had the week before CM Punk. That's a, not a good sign that the fans that tuned in on Friday night and saw CM Punk did not tune back in the following week, and they actually lost viewers from a three-week window. That's not a good telling sign right out of the gate. Now, we'll have to wait and see what the rating is for Wednesday's show when it comes through to see what happens when CM Punk leaves the show. To the best of my knowledge, he is not advertised for tomorrow night's show, and or tonight's show whenever I get this posted. So we'll have to see when the ratings come in from that to what happens when CM Punk isn't on Dynamite. Do they carry over that million viewers from the week before? Are they getting enough people from CM Punk that want to turn back in to see the rest of the product? That is what they're hoping to capitalize on the momentum with CM Punk coming in. Week to week, one week, it doesn't look good. But that's the thing with momentum. It takes a little bit to catch on. The talk is there. The buzz is still there. It hasn't died down. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am not crapping on AEW. I'm not crapping on CM Punk. I'm just looking at the viewership and the numbers. Maybe because it was a tape show, or maybe there's just that many fans that are just CM Punk fans, more so than AEW fans. Or maybe they just tuned in just to see what the big deal was, and then tuned back out. This certainly is a situation where time is just going to have to play itself out over the next few weeks and months to see when fans are tuning in to see CM Punk, are they seeing enough else on the show that makes them want to come back and watch it if CM Punk isn't there? Obviously, I think everybody realizes that as well. I'm not busting out, you know, groundbreaking commentary here about that. But there's some people who, you know, try to really, really crunch the numbers way too much and... There's a ton of people that just don't care what the numbers are. They're just, they like to watch the program. So whatever side of the fence you fall on, there's just a little bit of info about what we've seen with the ratings with AEW right now. Everybody likes to do the back comparison thing. Right now, SmackDown is the lead show. SmackDown's getting more viewers than Raw, NXT, Impact, MLW, NWA, or AEW right now. And they're well over 2 million viewers each week. But they're also on Fox, and that can also make a big difference there. AEW, again, you know, they've got a lot of momentum. They they do have some people that are tuning in, at least on the CM Punk factor. Now, with the Daniel Bryan coming along, which, is, again, I'm going to have to get used to calling him Bryan Danielson. It's been so long of calling him Daniel Bryan. The momentum is going to keep rolling. So, I think that we're going to end up seeing Dynamite, at least the Dynamite show, doing well over a million viewers continuously as we head into the fall months. I think there's going to be that much momentum once Daniel Bryan comes in, possibly Adam Cole, maybe even a Bray Wyatt. I do think we're going to see the Dynamite show hanging in there, pulling over a million regularly, because I think they're just going to get to that point where they have enough recognizable stars that they can keep pulling that kind of fan base and that kind of viewership. And truthfully, they don't have to be pulling two, three million viewers. All they got to do is just keep the networks happy. There's enough funding from the Khan family behind them where money's never going to be an issue. And as long as the networks are happy, and so far TNT has been very happy with what they're doing, if they hit over, you know, a 1.2 or a 1.3, or even if they just kind of level out at a 1.4, the networks are going to love it. So AEW's sitting in a really good spot. They don't have to get into a ratings competition, and we don't have to have a war where they're crushing WWE. And I know the fans on the internet and the message boards love to go crazy, and, oh, they're going to put WWE out of business, or WWE's going to crush them, and... Everybody wants to choose which side they have to be on because, God forbid, anybody just be a wrestling fan and enjoy both sides of the product. But that's a story for a different day. Obviously, you're here because you saw the title of the show. 
one big thing with wrestling fans, and this is always how it's been, because it's going to be the same way in sports, is we always compare stars of one era to stars of another era. The NFL, we do it. You know, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady compared to Joe Montana. Joe Montana was compared to Johnny Unitas and Joe Namath. LeBron's compared to Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was compared with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Before that, it was Wilt Chamberlain. Pick a sport, it always happens, and it's no different in wrestling. And us fans, we've done this for a long time. There's always been the big comparison between, you know, what star from which era was most likely, or could you compare to stars of that era? In the 1980s, Rick Rude, he was super popular. But when the 90s came along, we had Val Venus, and there was always the comparison back and forth that Val Venus was just the the new Rick Rude. Goldust, with the androgynous and the gay overtones, was really compared to Adrian Adonis. When Kurt Angle came in with his background and how quickly he caught on to things, so many people compared him to Bob Backlund when Bob Backlund was the champ. The all-American wrestler, the guy with the great background. When Carlito came in with his accent and he had that Caribbean coolness, people immediately was comparing him to Razor Ramon. Now, I'm not talking about, like, direct copycats, like Demolition and the Road Warriors, the Renegade from the Ultimate Warrior, the BWO, stuff like that. I'm not talking about the direct ripoffs. I'm talking about just the easy comparisons of generational stars. And I think the easiest one to start with, and the most obvious, is John Cena is just the modern-day Hulk Hogan. You got two guys who have been pushed as the face of the WWF slash WWE for so long, WrestleMania after WrestleMania, main event program after main event program. Both of them were at the top and pushed a whole lot longer than Steve Austin or The Rock. So the comparisons that John Cena is the new Hulk Hogan, I think is a good way to set the tone of this show as for you, for what you all can expect going forward with the rest of my list. Now for those who've listened to my show before, you all know I do have some wacky lists and I come up with some weird things. So and I do want to start with a couple easy ones. Goldberg was just the ultimate warrior a decade later. Try booking a 1989 Ultimate Warrior versus a 1999 Goldberg and come up with a finish. It was the same it was the same thing. Their careers were the same. They came out of the scene, they exploded, they were super popular, couldn't wrestle for a lick, weren't crazy over with backstage and all the politics, and then once it was exposed and their career was done, it never really captured back up. When you look at Warriors Return into the NWO scene, it flopped. Goldberg trying to come back now, it flopped. But the Warrior hitting the WWF in the 80s, and Goldberg hitting the WCW in the 90s, absolute parallel comparisons there. Another easy one, Matt Riddle is just today's version of Rob Van Dam. They're both stoners. They're exciting. The fans love them. One says, Bro, and the other says, dude, pretty self-explanatory how easy to make that connection. More modern day, Darby Allen. Darby Allen is just this era's version of Jeff Hardy. They're both considered small and undersized, and for you fans who weren't around to see Jeff Hardy or you didn't watch wrestling until after he was popular, when Jeff Hardy was first breaking into a solo run, he was still seen as small and undersized. They're both crazy popular because of their daredevils and they're willing to take those real high risks. They both connect with that uh, X Game audience that came real popular in the 90s. We had the X Games that came out with us. Jeff Hardy was 
wrestling's version of the, the X Games. And that translates over to the same thing with Darby Allen now. He is the this generation's version of the X Games. The wild, the craziness. You never know what to expect other than that you know those two guys were going to risk their body, life, and limb to make sure you were entertained no matter what. So those were a few easy ones. I don't think it took anyone to have much of a stretch of the imagination or to have to give any real deep dive thought to the comparisons that I was making. You know, Cena, Hogan, Warrior, Goldberg, Matt Riddle, Rob Van Dam, Darby Allen, Jeff Hardy. So what happens if we do a little thinking outside the box and start comparing people that don't always get compared to each other? And we're going to get right into that right after this quick little break. There's an epidemic affecting thousands of young Canadians, a condition scientists are calling the munchies. I'm World Wrestling Federation superstar Chris Jericho, and I've joined forces with Taco Bell to fight this hunger. You can join our tag team. By making a donation of only $3.99, you'll receive three Taco Supremes and a drink. Act now, and together we can help young people like Todd pummel the munchies. designers would shy away from putting 300 pound men in spandex you embrace it yes you do pushing fashion to its limits literally you pair tights with a cape a leotard with a mask leather boots with a thong all understated ways of saying i'm going to rip your head off and look fabulous doing it so this box for you mr pro wrestling wardrobe guy because without you, a man crushing another man's head in his arms would just look silly. I always dug those Bud Light commercials. They always crack me up. Um, and that one just seemed to be perfect for the show here since it's, you know, pro wrestling theme. But back to what we were talking about, you know, comparing stars of the past or, you know, what guy from what guy and which era. So, thinking outside the box a little bit, we're going to go with a little bit, some bigger names here. And the first one I want to do a comparison with is Chris Jericho and the Macho Man Randy Savage. You had two larger-than-life characters. Both of them had that rock star appeal, that rock star factor. Jericho, obviously, because of Fozzie, but... The Macho Man, you know, when he hit the scene, he had that rock star look. The, the wild jacket, the wild colors, the glasses, the voice, the hat. Both of these guys are legendary icons in the industry. Jericho has created a hell of a name for himself and has established one of the greatest legacies in wrestling. And also, you know, so did Randy Savage. Neither one of these guys rarely ever had a bad match. And for the longest time, the Randy Savage WrestleMania 3 match with Ricky Steamboat was considered the greatest WrestleMania match ever. And people thought of, some people will still say that it is. There's been so many matches now that it's highly debatable. He had great match. Savage had great matches with everybody. So did Jericho. You know, uh, when Randy Savage came on the scene, he was kind of considered a, a small guy. 
you know, he was five foot ten, two hundred and ten pounds maybe. So he didn't have that huge, great size and of the Hulk Hogan's and the Hillbilly Jims and the Iron Sheiks and Andres. And Jericho, when he showed up, you know, he was in the cruiserweight division. He was always seen as a, a smaller guy. Both guys had several main event runs, and they were on the level of the other stars and icons of their time. You know, Macho Man, you know, he was right there with Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Warrior, Sting, Ric Flair, Jericho, John Cena, The Rock, Steve Austin, Triple H. Macho Man, uh, one of the greatest things that he ever did in his career, and he had a lot of great moments, was his feud with DDP that got DDP over as one of WCW's biggest stars. And right now, we're seeing Chris Jericho doing the same thing in AEW with MJF. Savage plucked DDP out of obscurity and made a star out of him. And we're seeing Jericho make a star out of MJF. So there's my comparison for, you know, Chris Jericho to Macho Man Randy Savage. So how about this one? Roman Reigns is the modern-day Lex Luger. I could hear some booing from anyone who uh, didn't seem to like that one. But hear me out. Lex Luger's early career on, he was a fantastic heel. And he was, you know, I mean, at the, we're talking 86, 87. He wasn't the top heel of the company. But he was a good, young heel coming into the business. And then when he got part of the most dominant group, the Four Horsemen, I mean, Lex Luger's superstardom took off. And then when he left the Four Horsemen, that was his first big face turn. And as a face, Lex Luger is known to be that guy who choked constantly. Blame it on booking. You know, there's a lot of reasons behind it. But Lex Luger was seen by the fans as a guy who choked. Roman Reigns, same thing. Great heel, part of a mid, uh, the most dominant group at the time with the Shield. Then they kept him with the face turn coming out of the Shield, and Roman Reigns flopped. He had a bit of momentum coming out of the turn. Then he got sick. No, he wasn't sick. I'm sorry. He had the hernia surgery, and when he came back, we were in the middle, right there in the middle of the Yes movement with Daniel Bryan, and Roman Reigns, every opportunity he got to move up. The fans just would not accept it. Whether he was losing to Brock Lesnar and Seth Rollins in the main event at WrestleMania, or whether he was just losing to Brock Lesnar in the WrestleMania main event one-on-one, or he couldn't get it done in Saudi Arabia. He got his finally got his title win, then immediately lost it to Sheamus, and then had to do the ordeal with Triple H, and the whole time, the fans just did not want to accept it. It was a face turn and a face push that just, it didn't get over very well. And Lex Luger had his heel turn in 91, managed up with Harley Race. They put the title on him, and it flopped. There's a lot of reasons behind that as well, but at the end of the day, it was not a good run. They both had to take some significant time off. Lex Luger, because of the serious accident he was in, that almost cost him his arm and his entire career. And Roman Reigns, who had to take time off to battle cancer, which, you know, he could have lost his life. I mean, two guys who were just pushed at the top relentlessly that just never quite could get over that hump with the fans. 
even when Luger was trying to get pushed with Flair, the fans were behind him, the booking wouldn't be there, and he got seen as a choke. With Roman Reigns, they were trying to push him over people, and the fans just wouldn't accept it. When Luger finally found his acceptance, uh, he came back to WCW as a heel, and then when the NWO hit, Lex Luger became the de facto number two face against the NWO. Sting was obviously the guy, but he was hanging out in the rafters for 18 months. During that 18 months, Luger was the, the leader of Team WCW, and he was madly over. And go look at the pop that he got when he beat Hulk Hogan for the world title on Nitro. Roman Reigns, he's got a heel turn going on, and he has found a lot of success being paired up with Paul Heyman on this run right now. It took both of these guys a long, long time to finally get over to a level where the fans accepted the character for what it was, and they were getting the response they were looking for. They wanted Luger to be a face. He was finally a face. And they wanted Reigns to finally be over as the top guy, and he's finally over as the top guy. But early on for Reigns and early on for Luger, both these guys were just choke artists. Uh, if you liked that one, you're going to love this one. And if you didn't like that one, then you're probably going to hate this one. CM Punk is this generation's Shawn Michaels. Ah, oh, stop booing me on me own show. Do me a favor, name a bad Shawn Michaels match anytime from 1993 up until 97. Try to name a bad CM Punk match anywhere from 2007 up to 2011. We're talking about two guys that in the WWF, WWE, had a lot of early on mid-level, mid-card success. Shawn Michaels, obviously, you know, we all know his background, his history, one half of the Rockers. Weren't the tag champs, but still was one of the best tag teams of the, of the 80s. CM Punk had... Tag team runs with Kofi, he had mid-card success, he had some strong booking angles, you know, the straight-edge society. Shawn Michaels had that infamous moment of throwing Marty Jannetty through a glass window. CM Punk had, you know, his run with Jeff Hardy, and this was before Punk had his big, big run at the very top. But you look at Shawn Michaels pre-injury, pre-injury, he was constantly the underdog whether he was a face or a heel, and a lot of it because of him being a little bit undersized, but whether he was going against Kevin Nash, Bret Hart, Vader, Sid, he was always the underdog. CM Punk, same way. Whether he was straight-edge society punk against Big Show or against The Undertaker. I don't mean WrestleMania match Taker. I mean when CM Punk was early on champion against Taker. He was still the dog. Whether he was facing down with John Cena, he was seen as the underdog. Against Triple H, he was the underdog. Against The Rock, he was the underdog. So, both guys, you know, whether heel or face, were always kind of on that underdog role in their own way. You had Shawn Michaels, his attitude, uh, you know, especially when he formed DX, was the Rebels, us against the rules. And he sparked with DX and the Attitude Era so much fan interest. And you look at CM Punk's, he does his own thing, walks to the beat of his own drum attitude. A lot of similarities there. Uh, they both had reputations of being difficult and hard to work with. A lot of it may have been because Sean was on drugs, but there was a lot of stubbornness that you can read about and people that didn't like working with him backstage because he was just a prima donna. 
and you've heard the same reputation often spoken about CM Punk that at times he was very difficult to work with backstage. And we're talking about two guys that were major, major, major stars. And then Shawn Michaels left, and he had already had a Hall of Fame career when he left with his back injury. CM Punk, when he left the WWE up to that point, I think he had made a case for having a Hall of Fame career. If Coco Beware is in the Hall of Fame, CM Punk should be in the fucking Hall of Fame. But Shawn Michaels came back and had one of the most epic runs of just good to great matches and angles that nobody expected. Because he came back and he was better than he was when he left four years earlier. And now CM Punk has come back after a seven-year hiatus. Shawn left because he was broken down physically with a broken back. CM Punk left because he was broken down mentally by the WWE. And now he's back. If he goes on a four or five-year run that was anything at all like his last few years in the WWE, when he was the longest-reigning champ in the modern time, going up against the angles with Ryback and the Shield and John Cena walking out with the title, that whole run that he had, turning heel against The Rock, feuding with Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker and Heyman, Punk was just on a run. And if he can capture that magic in AEW, if he can have that nice, awesome, epic return where he just has good to great matches, and like Shawn Michaels, everything CM Punk touches turns to gold, you could have a generation of fans who may have missed the Attitude Era and the early part of Shawn Michaels' career grow up to be, when they're my age, when they're 40, look back and be looking and talking about CM Punk the same way that my generation talks about Shawn Michaels. Now, last but not least, I am going to make the definitive end-all, be-all, no-longer-a-debate conversation about who was the next Ric Flair. Because Shawn Michaels was going to be the next Ric Flair. Chris Jericho was going to be the next Ric Flair. AJ Styles was going to be the next Ric Flair. You want to know who the next Ric Flair was? No, not Charlotte, because Charlotte is her own woman now, and she is the Flair for women. But the Ric Flair for this generation is Randy Orton. I almost compared Randy Orton to Macho Man, because Randy Orton was always seemed to be playing second fiddle to John Cena. He was always the second biggest star next to John Cena, kind of like Macho and Hogan was. But the reason I went with Randy Orton is this generation's Ric Flair is because of Ric Flair and others. But the Nature Boy is always touting Randy Orton as the greatest to ever come along. Interview after interview after interview, Ric Flair will tell you that Triple H is great, Shawn Michaels is great, but Randy Orton was the greatest. Randy Orton's the best to lace up a pair of boots. And he says it all the time. But you, it's not just Ric Flair. Go listen to Bubba Ray or Booker T, Jim Cornette, Paul Heyman, interviews with The Big Show, Triple H. All the greats put Flair, not Flair, but Orton in that category when they talk about him. And they talk about him just being great, smooth, a leader in the ring, unflappable. They talk about him the same way people talked about Ric Flair. When you listen to an interview with Lex Luger or Sting or Hulk Hogan, and they're talking about working with Ric Flair, it's the same conversation you hear when you're talking, when people like Booker T or Jim Cornette or Ric Flair are talking about Randy Orton. 
You're talking about guys who numerous world titles, constantly at the top of the card. These guys work great as a face, even better as heels. They were part of fantastic factions and evolution and the Four Horsemen. And Randy Orton right now, I mean, look at him. He is on, he's got this career going where Randy Orton right now, he's as good as he was 10 years ago. And people will talk about Ric Flair, that he was timeless. He was ageless in the ring. Randy Orton, same thing. He is ageless in the ring. The way he is working right now, and you look back five, six, seven years ago, he hasn't lost a step. We might see another decade of Randy Orton. We could see Randy Orton having a 30, 40 year career of just being one of the best to ever step in the ring. Now, I've been highly critical of Randy Orton myself. I've always found him a bit on the boring side myself. But the opinions of guys who have been in the business like Jim Cornette, Ric Flair, Bully Ray, I will take their opinion more over mine any day because this is their industry. That's what they do. These are the guys they know, the guys they've worked with. And listen to them talk. They talk about Randy Orton, how we talk about Ric Flair. And I think this generation of fans will be able to grow up and they'll be able to look back and say, okay, well, John Cena was Hulk Hogan. Then Randy Orton was Ric Flair. So there you have it, folks. Just some comparisons. Feel free to give feedback. Like I said, you can hit us up on Facebook, KP Love Puppet. Shoot us an email at madaboutwrestlingpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voice message over at Anchor. I want to end the show once again how I started it by saying, Daphne, rest in peace. We'll all miss you. And those of us who were fortunate enough to see your career, we'll be able to carry on several memories. And it's sad that you have left us. Hopefully the next show will start and end with a a better tone. But like I said, the breaking news of Daphne was kind of a bummer. And it didn't hit me like Roddy Piper or Dusty Rhodes because I sat outside and actually cried when those two died. But it was still a somber thing to to pull up and, and see what happened with Daphne. And there's so many people out there that are hurt by her that, but not by her, but by her loss. WWE, Mick Foley, a lot of people are putting out, if you have issues and you need someone to talk to, there's a lot of people you can call. There's a lot of places you can reach out to get help. I am not one of them because I am not a professional expert on suicide or any of that stuff, but there are a lot of people who are. So if you're ever having those issues or those thoughts or those feelings, know there are people you can reach out to. Help is always available, 1-800-273-8255. But for all you wrestling fans, this is KP signing off for tonight. We'll be back with a different show soon with some different random topics. Lord knows what I'll come up with next. So as always, keep the dream alive, stay a fan, and enjoy the show. I've been so lonely, girl, I've been so sad down Couldn't understand why haters joked around I wanna do the free with other creatures like me And now I got my wish Cause I knew that I'm a gay fish, gay fish, gay fish, yo